Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Novak Djokovic is your 2023 U.S. Open champion. He wins in New York for the first time since 2018. His 24th major title, his fourth U.S. Open. I thought this was going to be the first Medvedev-Djokovic major final that would be somewhat close. Didn't happen. Straight sets. So three major finals between these two. All three of them were straight setters. Uh, First set was average. Second set was actually amazing. 10 out of 10 set. And the third set was, was highly forgettable. But all that said... There is so much to analyze. There is so much to discuss. There always is on the Monday after a major, one of the four greatest days of the year. Are you kidding me? So uh, I'm excited. It's great U.S. Open. Uh, thank you for everybody. Uh, shout out to those of you on audio platforms who uh, I uh, I have not spoken with since before the U.S. Open started. So I appreciate all of you, and again, you know, U.S. Open, it's bittersweet for me. Always a great experience being a broadcaster at the event, but also uh, it's too bad that I I can't have a presence on YouTube for so much of it. All right, let's get into Novak and and the significance of the win. I always like to start here. I think it's uh, always a natural place to start. I think the reason this was as sweet as it was for Novak was really just because he'll feel that it was overdue for him in New York. Talked about it coming into the tournament. There have been a lot of hard moments in past years. There was an injury. There was a default. There was a heartbreaking blowout loss in a final. There was not being allowed to enter the country. A lot of stuff's happened in New York. So I think that will be the most satisfying thing for Novak about this win, but it also cements 2023 as a Pantheon year in his career, which is amazing. It's a signature year, and he's 36. It's the fourth season that he's won three slams, did it in 2011, did it in 2015, did it in 2021. And, you know, 2021... And especially this year, this year more than anything, uh, he his success outside of the majors has been less and less because of the way he manages himself and tries to peak for slams and just can't really be in tip-top shape 10 months out of the year like he used to be able to. But this one is 
just as as special in its own way when you put it up against 2011 and you put it up against 2015 because of his age and because there's never a guarantee that an athlete at this stage in their career is going to continue to dominate. And man, another three slam season and he made the final in, in the other slam. Unbelievable stuff. That All that said, the stakes felt a little bit lower for, for this one than they have been in recent major finals, which is just a product of where he was at with the slam tally and all of the the things that he's accomplished in the last couple of years. But a lot of these major finals, it's felt like they have this major historical significance attached to them because there's some kind of milestone or the Grand Slam is is still intact, heading into Wimbledon like it was last time. And you're playing Carlos Alcaraz and there was some added kind of baggage to, to that situation. But uh, this kind of felt like just another regular major final, which I thought was a good thing for Novak. He came out really loose. And it's always interesting to see how those first couple games are in a slam championship match because those are often some of the most nervous moments. And Novak was sharp right away. Medvedev wasn't. He played a horror game at Love One. His first service game was horrendous. And that, that happens sometimes in majors. You come out, you're, you're nervous in the first couple games. And then normally you can be nervous at the end. It's generally how it plays out. And that was the decisive break of serve in the opening set. Djokovic held the rest of the way. I am not going to focus all that much on the first set or the third set. I am going to go so deep into the second set because that's the set that turned the match. The one thing I'll also say about the first set, and I'll get into some overarching stuff at the end also, but the one thing I'll say about the first set, Novak was doing such a good job of attacking anything short from Medvedev on the return with his first ball forehand. That was really on point in the first set. And Djokovic, again, got the early break, held the rest of the way, and took it 6-3. Second set. We can get right to it. The match got very, very interesting. This set decided the match. I mean, if it went Medvedev's way, you don't know what would have happened. But certainly it would have been a very, very different match from the match that we got because it went Novak's way. So I'm really excited to talk about the second set. But first... I want to talk about our partner, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I recently started drinking AG1 every day. Now, as you know, I was just away in New York working the US Open. And let me tell you one thing. It is very difficult when you're working an event, spending every day and night at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center to eat healthy. That is, that is not an easy thing to do. Dare I say impossible? It's possible. But me, I wasn't doing it. Luckily, I did have my AG1 travel packs. It's the same as regular AG1, except it doesn't need to be refrigerated, and it's pre-portioned. It comes in these little packs. All you do is take it out of the pack, mix it with water. It is so portable. You can take it with you on the road, wherever you go. And man, did it come in handy because I had mine every morning. So I could maintain my gut health. I could feel energized as ever when I was working those 1 a.m. night sessions. And I knew that I was getting the nutrition that I needed, even though I was eating at U.S. Open concessions, steak sandwiches, lobster rolls, all that. 
So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gill. That's drinkag1.com slash gill. Gill with two L's. Check it out. Okay. Even though Medvedev lost the first set, Djokovic won the first set. I still thought that there were some things that were going in a way that Medvedev would like. It's pretty physical. Average lap rally lengths were really very high. And it was kind of reminding me of those pre-2021 Australian Open Djokovic-Medvedev matches in which Medvedev won three out of four against Novak where things were getting super physical and there were a lot of protracted baseline rallies, which was really the path to victory for Medvedev, was to, to, to wear down Novak in those kinds of points. Look, let me get this out of the way. Medvedev is the most unattackable man in tennis from the back of the court. If you're going to get in baseline rallies with him, there are things that Medvedev do, does to make it impossible to t attack him, uh, or at least very, very hard to attack him. And that's why even if you're Djokovic and you don't necessarily want to play these long rallies, you know that your legs are getting tired, you know that Medvedev is eating all this rhythm and this shot tolerance stuff up, even if you know that, it can be really hard to avoid because of Medvedev's consistency, first of all. If he were to miss, then he wouldn't be able to extend rallies as well. His depth, if he were to drop the ball short, then you can start to do point-ending damage, but he doesn't do that very often. His height of bounce, we talk about that a lot, very low. So it would be a little bit easier to attack his trades if they bounced up into the strike zone, but they don't. They stay very low. And obviously the movement where sometimes you're hitting shots that should be drawing short balls, should be maybe ending the point, and Medvedev's court coverage is able to once again extend rallies. And that's where you got these rally lengths. That, that's why Medvedev is able to, regardless of the opponent, get the match to be played on his terms, especially when he wants it to get physical. He's able to accomplish it with all of those great attributes. And Novak is at a point where he really can't grind every point anymore. He can't do it every point. He used to be able to. Everybody knows that. 2011, even through, I would say, like 2021, maybe. Probably that ended, that era ended before 2021. But more and more, as he gets older... That's not how he wins anymore. He doesn't play long rally after long rally after long rally. And physically, he's not really in a position to do that. Now, I've talked a lot about Novak's endurance, and I just want to clarify something because I don't want to—I don't want anybody to be like, Gil, you're changing your story or you're, you know, delivering mixed messages. I don't want that. So let me let me be very very clear. I've talked about Novak's endurance and how it hasn't declined, uh, but I'm when when I was kind of making that point, I was talking about a different kind of endurance. All of the evidence, all of the recent history with Novak suggests that he can play five sets, that he can play four hours, no problem. 
That's the endurance that I haven't seen any evidence of, of decline for Djokovic. The match is not going to go so long that he gets tired. That's one kind of endurance. But I don't want to get too scientific about it. I'm not going to use big words. I'm not going to use anything. I'm not going to complicate this. Your ability to play four and a half hours, five sets, is very different than your ability to play three straight 20-ball rallies in a row. Novak, in the former, is still excellent. In the latter, not so much. And that's why he's built these adaptations in his game where he doesn't have to play three straight 20-ball rallies against normal opponents anymore. That's why his serve's bigger. That's why his forehand's bigger. That's why his volleys are better. Medvedev just makes it very hard. Very hard. So, three all in the second set, that's where the physicality started really paying off for Medvedev. That's where Novak's legs started to go on him. And the difference was that we started getting residue after long rallies into the next couple points. Because even in the first set, I observed that once the rallies were surpassing 15 balls, and certainly when they were surpassing 20 balls, that Medvedev's movement was holding up a little bit better than Novak's movement and, and his leg strength, which you could see it just going down in those long rallies. But for most of the, the start of the match, Novak would be able to bounce back, play the next point like nothing happened for the most part. And then sometimes on serve, he would point shorten, but we'll get to that in a moment. Three all second set, that's where you started seeing those long rallies play a really big effect in the points to follow. And Medvedev started to have a lot of success from the back of the court. The plan was clear for Daniil. Make Novak tired, keep it on his backhand, and take advantage of the bailout. Just like I said in the preview, that's exactly what Daniil was doing. Tired legs. Once he gets tired legs, you make sure he's hitting backhands because it's very difficult for Novak to find finishes from behind the baseline with his two-handed backhand. That's not what makes his two-hander great. It's not the power. It's not the ability to finish. It's the precision. It's the consistency. It's the depth. It's the defense. So when you keep it on his backhand and you put Novak in a position where... Okay, I'm trying to finish the point. I'm trying to finish the point. But all he's getting is backhands. He's in a tough position there. And we saw some occasions where he was asking a little bit too much of his backhand. And he was hitting at, you know, 110% pace and missing on some occasions trying to do that. But most of all, the play on his backhand, really more than anything, when he needs the point to end, is he just hits the drop shot. Or he hits the short slice that draws Medvedev forward. That's what he does. But Medvedev was ready for that. Very ready for that. His movement up, up to it was excellent. And I'm not even talking about his movement reacting to the drop shot. I'm even talking about his movement in between shots, anticipating the drop shot. And his drop shot retrieval when he gets to the ball is very, very special. It's really special. He does so well to keep his drive grip when he gets up to drop shots. So we had tons of success in this second set executing that game plan. And it became easier to do 
increasingly because Djokovic became a little bit too tired to really run around and use his forehand. So if you'll notice, Medvedev was having a really easy time getting it to Djokovic's backhand, which as, I, as I've as i discussed, he wanted to do. It was so easy for him because Novak just was too tired to use his footwork to make forehands. And he also became too tired midpoint to use his legs uh, and explode forward and take the net. It was really hard for Djokovic to do that in the long rallies. Plus, it's, it's not really his forte. Once he gets settled into the baseline rallies, he doesn't do the best job always of transitioning forward. Uh, so he really got stuck, right? I'm painting this picture where Medvedev is having a lot of success. And I know what you're thinking. Okay, where's the catch? Because obviously, Daniil didn't run away with the second set. Even though I'm explaining all of these things that were working beautiful and exactly the game plan that I explained before the match was working to a T for Medvedev. Guess what? Novak had to get out of jail card. He had a tactic that could get him out of jail every single time. And it kept him in the second set when his legs were gone. And exactly how Medvedev wanted to play the match was exactly how the match was being played. Serve and volley. You probably knew this was coming, but it was the serve and volley. Let's go to film study. I'll give you stats. I'll give you my thoughts. But first, let's just watch this. Okay? Uh, now, I actually first saw this happen in the first set. Where uh, Djokovic at 3-1, they play a super lung-busting rally here at 15-all. And I did take a quick screenshot of Djokovic's reaction after the rally. You can see him, you know, bent over, uh, leaning on the court with his racket holding himself up. So he's super tired after this point. And there was a couple long rallies before that as well. So now 15-30, Novak for one of the first times in the match is actually going to serve and volley on a second serve. And because he hadn't done it that much, and because it was a second serve, uh, Daniil was was pretty surprised by this. And Novak punches this backhand volley into the deuce corner. Medvedev forehand pass, tough one, bad one, easy forehand volley put away from Novak. Now it's 30-all. Deuce side, slice serve out wide, another serve and volley from Djokovic. Medvedev is... In an has an awful contact point here, way, way off the court. I mean, he's in the corner of this ash court here. I don't know how else to put it. And Novak has a pretty high volley. This is a put away every day of the week in Novak's sleep. Doesn't even need to hit a good volley. And Medvedev still has no chance of getting there. So I wrote in my notes after this game at 3-1 in the first set, I wrote, this game was interesting because Novak got tired, but he was able to go to the serve and volley as a reaction to his fatigue or as a antidote to his fatigue. Successfully, hold serve, get out of the game, 4-1. That was the first time I saw it. But it would become much more significant and much more needed in the second set, as I've explained. So, let's go to the second set. Break point at 3-4. Novak serves out wide on the ad side here. 
Medvedev backhand return down the line. One of his best returns off of a Djokovic serve and volley of the match. But one of his best is still not it. Uh, or it still doesn't win him the point. Novak, half volley, stretched out, and look at the precision. Look how short this half volley goes. This is an exceptional, exceptional volley. Now, because Medvedev is so far back, uh, it is a winning shot. It wins Novak the point. It bounces twice in front of Medvedev. This was really a, a great, great volley, though. So you have to give Novak props for this. But serve and volley saves break point. It would have been 5-3. Now let's skip ahead now to 5-6. And once again, Djokovic's serve is under a lot of pressure. It's 30-all. And in this game, this game is one of the most physical games of the match. And Novak's legs were, were really in rough shape over the course of this game. 30-all, slice serve out wide. Serve and volley Novak, forehand volley, very routine, very, very simple, and it is a easy winner. Later in the game, it goes to deuce. Medvedev wins the point. I don't know if it was deuce number one or, or deuce number two, but it's pretty early in this game and in, in this deuce, in this sequence of deuces. Medvedev has a set point. Now we are going to talk, we're going to spend some extra time on this point, not just because it was set point, but also because what happened is so significant in what ended up happening in this match. Serve and volley Novak up the T on the ad side, which was a, a different tactic. I think Djokovic did want to catch Medvedev by surprise. And he ends up getting a pretty, a pretty nice volley to work with here. It's a high backhand volley. Uh, but the big difference here is that Medvedev, instead of being pulled off the court, is in the middle of the court. And it's very difficult. Alcaraz does this super well. But it's very difficult to hit a first ball volley as a drop volley. It's not all that easy. So so Novak has a situation where he doesn't hit the drop volley and Medvedev is in the middle of the court. Very, very hard to put away this volley compared to what to, to the volleys that, with the exception of the half volley, all the volleys I've been showing you are Medvedev's way off the court, and some of them are volleys that Novak can put away in his sleep. This one's a little tougher, and Djokovic does not hit it all that well. He tries to go short angle, but it's not really short enough on the backhand volley. And Medvedev is going to get there really, really easily. He's going to be in there, and he's going to be there in plenty of time. Now, in this split second, there's a lot of things happening, but obviously the line is open, but Novak still has time to move there after the volley. Medvedev gets there, and as you can see, if you look at just Novak here, Novak has moved towards the middle, but he has not sold out to cover down the line, even though at this point in time, the, the down the line is the open court. So Medvedev is thinking here that Djokovic is going to probably go cover the open court. And there is time, if you watch it in video, I know screenshots can be tough. There is time for Djokovic to get over there. But, but Novak decides, I'm going to cover the cross, which was surprising. It really was. In real time, it was surprising. Medvedev is going to hit the passing shot cross 
and it goes right at Novak because Novak, instead of covering the line, he just stayed exactly where he was and covered the cross court. Look, this looked really bad. And everybody was sharing this screenshot on social media of Medvedev hitting this backhand with the entire down the line open. By the way, lob was open as well. He could have lobbed. He he said after the match, you know, I had three options and I chose the wrong one. Well, yeah, he chose the wrong one. But I also think a lot of people who, who maybe don't understand what they're looking at here can misread what happened. This is an anticipation situation. This is a situation where Djokovic knows I've hit a bad volley. Medvedev has a pretty easy pass and I'm going to need to sell out. I'm going to need to sell out for one or the other because my positioning is bad. I'm in big trouble here. Novak knows that. I'm either going to need to take the line or take the cross. It's 50-50 here. And we see this all the time. It's a matter of anticipation. Medvedev is not an idiot, okay? He knows the line was open. He sees that, okay? He gets that. His bet was that Novak was going to go cover it, though, uh, which he had time to do. So whenever someone tries to hit behind a player, but the player didn't didn't recover or didn't leave, they end up looking like a like an idiot, okay? They, they look horrible. But they're not as horrible as it looks, okay? And that's the point I want to make here. If your eye does not, if you're not understanding what's happening here, Medvedev, it looks like the most boneheaded shot in the world. If you do understand what's happening here, you understand that you're in a 50-50 situation of anticipation and Novak just guessed correctly here and that's why Medvedev went in the direction that uh, was right at Novak. It was only right at Novak because Novak didn't move over. Lob would have been nice, though. Lob would have been very, very smart. I bet Alcaraz would have lobbed here. Just saying. Uh, okay. That is that. I guess I can show you the end of the volley. It's an easy backhand volley for Novak. Also, I can't remember. There was a recent Djokovic match. I totally can't remember where it was, where we were having the same conversation, but it was Novak from, it was, it was from the baseline. I don't know if it was rude. I don't in the Roland Garros final, but Novak was on the baseline and it was the same thing. He uh, gave up a pretty easy put away opportunity, but he stayed and then his opponent tried to go behind him, and then Novak was right there waiting. And then he, I think he hit a passing shot. Can't remember what match it was, but anyway, let's move on. Okay, we are not out of this game yet. It's Deuce, again, 5-6. Novak, serve and volley. Medvedev forehand return. Literally bounces before the net. And, I mean, look at this serve. It's not, it's not a special serve. There's nothing amazing about this serve that makes it so so Medvedev can't even reach the net with his return. It's just that he is under so much pressure to hit a great return because of Novak's coming in. Okay, next one. We're back at deuce, folks. Djokovic can't get out of this 5-6 game. Slice serve out wide. Serve and volley on the deuce. Medvedev is going to try to take this down the line. He's going to miss by like what? 
10 feet, maybe that's a little harsh. Seven feet, I mean, it's not even close. He almost hit the chair with this return. That's how not close he is to successfully timing this down-the-line return. Djokovic holds. We go to a tie break. It's three-all. Serving on the deuce side. Guess what? Serve and volley. Slice serve out wide. Medvedev hitting this from a terrible position. Entire court's open. Djokovic backhand volley. This is one of Novak's worst volleys of the match. I mean, this volley really was pretty awful. But it doesn't matter. It still wins Novak the point. Medvedev gets here before it bounces twice. But his desperation backhand goes long. He tries to throw up the lob and it goes long. And, you know, why can a terrible volley still win the point? This is why. I mean, uh, a 4-5 level player has a good chance of being able to finish this volley. That's how far Medvedev is off the court. Later on in the tie break, 5-all, deuce side, slice serve out wide, serve and volley. Medvedev return is... This one might have actually been 10 feet wide trying to take it down the line. I don't know why he's going down the line here. It's probably, I mean, you know what? It's not as if cross, it's not as if he's finding an angle cross court anyway, but it's probably better than taking it down the line. Uh, you know, you get the picture. Over and 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 over again. This play wins Novak the point. You want the stat? I'll give you the stat. At the end of the second set, Novak served and volleyed 16 times. He won 15 points. And that is why, despite everything going exactly to plan for Medvedev in the second set, he lost the set. Because when you give up a tactic that works virtually every time that's what happens. You probably lose the set. You probably lose the set even if you executed your plan to perfection. You still lose the set. Let's talk about some other topics on the, the serve and volley thing. First of all, the difference with Alcaraz who didn't serve and volley quite as successfully as Djokovic, which is a high bar because Novak's success was through the roof. But Alcaraz, maybe not quite as successful. First of all, Djokovic favored the deuce side a little bit more than Alcaraz did. And it's a better plan the deuce side against Medvedev, if, as long as you're right-handed, assuming you're right-handed, uh, because Medvedev's forehand return, I think, is a little bit weaker. And obviously, the slice, the movement of the slice, which moves to the left, pulls Daniil off the court, which makes for an easier volley. Add side, when your slice moves into the court, you you don't get that same effect. So I think that where Alcaraz hit a point where he was serving volleying on both courts, Djokovic, for the most part, with the exception of a couple of change-up moments where at least he had the element of surprise, he really focused his serve and volley on the deuce court and hit the same serve every time, the slice serve out wide, which, by the way, when we talk about execution, Novak has an excellent slice serve out wide on the deuce. It is his best serve, whereas Alcaraz does not hit that serve all that well. 
Alcaraz is not as consistent in hitting his spots, and sometimes he gets a little bit too much kick on his slice serve. Which is, you know, it's a bad thing when you're hitting a slice serve. You don't want kick because that diminishes, first of all, it diminishes the low height of bounce that you kind of want to achieve on a slice serve, and it diminishes the sideways tail. So that is how I would explain why Djokovic had more success than Alcaraz on the serve and volley. That said, as you know, if you heard my analysis after the Djokovic, or sorry, after the Medvedev Alcaraz match, you know that I don't think that Medvedev really ever cracked the code fully on Alcaraz's serve and volley. And it's something that I've really seen going around Twitter a lot, which is, uh, in my opinion, a misnomer, a bit of a misnomer. And there is there is some truth to it, I will admit. But I think to, to say that Medvedev, to a large extent, solved Alcaraz's serve and volley in the semifinal is a falsehood. In the fourth set, which is the set that apparently the serve and volley stopped working for Alcaraz, and I put that in air quotes if you're not watching on YouTube because it didn't stop working. I had it charted 9 of 14, serve and volley points 1. Uh, I know Vanch, who was also uh, Vanch2K on Twitter, also charted the match. He had it 10 of 15, so he had a serve and volley uh, success that, that maybe I didn't catch and... Honestly, he's probably right. I'm probably wrong because in all likelihood, I just missed one. Um, that is pretty successful. Like if if that is the least successful that the tactic is, five uh, or sorry, 10 of 15, if that's the low point for a tactic, it's a pretty darn successful tactic. Its effectiveness is very, very high. And you can even zoom in on the game that Medvedev broke serve. The 2-3 game in the fourth set, where apparently he cracked the code on Alcaraz's serve and volley. What was Carlitos' success rate in that game? 6 of 10. So if that's the low point, if 60% success is the worst that it gets, you get the picture I'm painting. I would shy away from, and, and I'm making this point for a reason, okay? I'm not just trying to, you know, I'm not just trying to talk about something that I saw on Twitter for no reason. I'm making this point for a reason. The reason is Medvedev has to fix this. He he has to fix this because it's going to cost him major titles. It might have today, depending on how things would have gone if he won the second set. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if he could just win a couple of serve and volley points on the deuce side when he knew what Novak was going to do. It's going to be a slice out wide and Djokovic is going to come in behind it. If he could just win some of those points, he is the winner of that second set. There is no doubt about it. He was dominating from the back of the court. And I talk about the Alcaraz match. Because I think it's important to understand that that's not why he beat Alcaraz. He did not beat Alcaraz because he figured out a way to stop the serve and volley. He didn't. He didn't. He beat Alcaraz because he dominated on serve. And he was the far better player from the baseline. 
That's why he beat Alcaraz. It's not because he solved the serve and volley. Medvedev has to figure out a way to cut off the angle and leave less court open and give his opponents less time to close in on the net. A serve and volley wants as much time as possible to get as close as possible to the net. And when Medvedev is standing 18 feet back, he's giving them more time and he's allowing their slice serve to go further off the court and it just makes it more effective. He has to figure out a way to stand closer and cut off the angle. I'm sorry. He, he's got to do it. That's my take. It's not the first time I've had this take. I've had it before. I understand why it's hard. I understand that he has long stroke mechanics. I understand that his returning style has been unbelievably effective for him. I mean, he's one of the better returners out there unless you serve in volley. That's it. I mean, it, I you saw those screenshots of slice serves out wide where Medvedev missed the return by 10 feet or didn't even hit the net before getting it back. That's not the Medvedev return. The Medvedev return is one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business, at coming back in play. That's what makes him so great. The serve and volley, it ruins him. It just ruins him. Let's take a moment to appreciate the adaptation of Novak Djokovic, though. There is no way that Novak is able to do this without the skills that he's developed at an extraordinarily high level. Djokovic for the match was 37 of 44 at net. I mean, his volleying, to have that kind of consistency, and I don't care if a chunk of those are easy volleys. A lot of them aren't. And you could just go the whole match almost without uh, without a blip for Djokovic. The volleys are there every almost every single time he's doing the right things and he's making great volleys. And sometimes, uh, like that half volley, on you know down break point at four at uh, three four in the second set, sometimes he's even coming up with spectacular volleys. Never have his volleys been more important to him winning a major final than they were in this 2023 U.S. Open on this Sunday. Never in his career have his volleys been so important, and never have they been so impressive. And it was amazing to see in a match where he met his match. He met his equal from the back of the court or his superior. I don't know. Maybe his superior from the back of the court. Which wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. He wouldn't have, It wouldn't have gone like that when Novak was 26. He would have been able to physically go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Medvedev. And honestly, he would have been, I think, the superior player from the back of the court when he was 26. But that is no longer... But another thing that, that would have been true if he was 26 is he wouldn't have been able to volley this well. He wouldn't have served and volleyed like this. If I would have showed, if you would have seen the tape, if Novak would have seen the tape of what he did in this final, if you would have showed him this in 2013, 10 years ago, it would have been like, what? Who is that? Who the heck is that? It's incredible what Novak has done. So that should be said. Um, a couple more things 
this was a big thing in the first set. I think it was also, you know, a factor in, in the third set as well, especially. Medvedev was missing more when he was trying to be offensive compared to what we had seen in his previous three matches. Daniil, Daniil was missing more when he was trying to take charge and be aggressive. Let's talk about why that might have been. I think that Djokovic was mixing speeds extremely well and keeping the ball lower. We talked about it with the Alcaraz thing. It's very important when you're playing Medvedev to make him generate. And if you can, keep the ball low, which really affects his ability to attack because he hits so flat. If you can make him generate and keep the ball low, you're in good shape. He's really not going to hurt you. And if he tries to hurt you, he's going to be much more inconsistent. Not to mention Novak does a, a great job of staying in position. And we talk about how Medvedev really wants to redirect into open court. And Djokovic really does a great job of taking away or, or not allowing himself to even see that open court. That's one of the advantages that Djokovic has when he doesn't run around his backhand. But it's also an advantage that he has when you know he's pulled out wide to his forehand if he slices it, which he did a ton in this match, instead of do an Alcaraz and rip it cross-court really fast. Backhand slice. How about that? I mean, that was great for Novak. Djokovic, I charted. I charted seven times. Novak backhand slice to, to Medvedev unforced error. That's a good chunk of Medvedev's unforced errors. Seven out of... Seven out of uh, 39 came directly from Djokovic slicing the backhand. That's pretty significant. Darren Cahill also had a stat on TV on the ESPN broadcast, which would be a stat that I wouldn't have access to. He has, he has you know, the full stats that the coaches get. Uh, before 2-5 in the third, he said Novak hit 78 sliced backhands, and he made 74 of them. So... Djokovic's slice backhand, it's not going to miss, and Medvedev can't really hurt him on it. Plus, Daniil is missing a lot of balls, and I'm sure it set up some, some shots for Djokovic to attack with Medvedev inside the court. So it was a really, really good play. And there were other aspects of the game where Novak was also utilizing the, the off-pace stuff and taking it away. You could see Novak even blocked some returns, which is not something that Djokovic usually does, not something that he likes to do because he doesn't have to. And usually it's much better to hit through returns if you have the option instead of blocking it. But but Djokovic picked his moments to block some returns. He knows that Daniil won't attack it that well. He, he knows that it's not his thing. If you give him no pace and you get in position, he's probably not going to hurt you. Or he's going to have trouble at least. Especially if the ball's deep in the court. Which, uh, which it was consistently. So, you know, that's my answer. Why was Medvedev missing more? when he was trying to be offensive off the ground, it's because Djokovic was actually mixing speeds properly and naturally keeping the ball low with his variety. And sometimes it's not variety. Sometimes it's just, you know, he, he keeps the ball pretty low compared to some, certainly compared to Rublev and Alcaraz. And uh, lastly, Medvedev's second serve vulnerability certainly played out in this match. You know, Novak, he takes returns hard and early with unmatched consistency. And I think that sometimes it's hard to fully appreciate it because he's not always hitting spectacular second serve returns that are making you go, wow, that was that was amazing. You know, he's not even doing like a Tiafo or or an Alcaraz or a Tommy Paul where he's hitting 
these big backhand second serve returns and coming in behind it. He doesn't even do that. But what he does is he doesn't miss his second serve returns. And he hits them really well. You know, just, just, the it's the consistency. Even though it's a pretty aggressive shot, it's the consistency that makes it great. It's that he stands on top of the baseline, takes it hard on the rise, deep down the middle, and it's very, very rare he misses. That's what's unique about it. So Medvedev won 14 out of 37 second serve points. That is 38%. And there were moments where he hit some very bad double faults, six of them. So that is right now, I'd say, the biggest technical flaw in Daniil's game besides the open besides the opportunity to serve and volley against his return position it's the second serve and Djokovic took advantage of that to the fullest as well which is uh, certainly borne out in the statistics that is all I got the anatomy of Djokovic's straight set win over Daniil Medvedev in the 2023 U.S. Open final this week as always I will speak with Steve Flink we will have a conversation I will have a huge mailbag very, it will be very, very long. It will be extremely exciting to talk to you guys about all of the topics that I may have missed over the course of the U.S. Open. So keep it locked on the YouTube community tab, and I might open it up. Uh, I don't know if I'll open it up Twitter. Probably not. But also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's another way to get into this week's mailbag. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.